Well, good morning, church family. Oop, I better turn this off. <laughs> I received specific instructions to turn this on before I got up here, but sorry. <laughs> good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning, church family. Morning. That's a little better. I can hear myself even then. <laughs> Praise God. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. And as uh, Pastor Zach said, we just pray that the Lord will have his way as we are here today. I don't know if you've ever uh, watched or seen a TV series called Hoarders. Um, and if you have, you know it's about people who develop a compulsive need to collect or store items in their home or perhaps in their yard or even in an empty uh, in-ground swimming pool in their backyard. Now, it's interesting to see how much stuff, to put it kindly, a person would allow to be collected and piled up, sometimes to the ceiling of their home and the infestation that can accompany it. And at first, it's kind of amusing uh, to look at until you hear from the individual how this all started and from the family members or close friends who share how devastating this behavior has become to the relationship and how it has been going on for maybe 10, 20, or more years. Then you realize that most, if not all of them, have come to this point as a result of some traumatic event in their lives. It could be the loss of a loved one, maybe a parent or a child, or after a very difficult divorce. And because of this broken or splintered relationship, they find themselves lost, alone, confused, and feeling unloved. While, at the, while all the while, rather, being unable to stop collecting things, trinkets, trinkets that is, and tokens of their lives that they just aren't willing to let go of. And until or unless someone comes into their lives, an outside source of help who they must be willing to receive and willing to accept instruction from, nothing will change. And they could eventually die in that state of brokenness, fear, and longing. Well, when each of us are born, we enter into a world marred by sin. In a relationship with God, our creator, that's broken by sin. And unless we accept the free gift of salvation from God, we will remain lost with nothing but a collection of things tokens, idols that we are unwilling to let go of and facing the eternal judgment of an omnipotent, all-powerful God. And like the hoarder, we need help. We need a Savior. We need the Lord. So let's go to the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive the message entitled, The Omnipotent, All-Powerful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we can gather today 
to worship you. We thank you, Father God, that we know that you are here. You are all-powerful. You are present in every situation. And so, Father, we ask that right now, by your spirit, you would guide and direct us. That you would use your servant to bring forth your word so that the people may be edified and so that you may be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So our scripture today is Psalm 115. And this can be found on page 510 of uh, the Pew Bibles in front of you if you want to use one of those. But if you would turn, please, to Psalm 115. I'll give a little drink of water while we're doing this. Psalm 115. If you have it, say amen. Amen. It reads this way. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give, give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. There are four points uh, to uh, the sermon today. Point number one, place your focus on God. And not on yourself. Place your focus on God and not on yourself. And we'll see this in verses 1 through 3. Point number 2. Place your hope in God and not in idols. And we'll see this in verses 4 through 8. Our third point. Place your trust in God and embrace his blessings. We'll see this in verses 9 through 15. And finally in point 4. Bless and praise our God now and forevermore. And we'll see this in verses 16 through 18. 
Point number one, place your focus on God and not on yourselves. Verse one begins, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So the psalm begins with a prayer, a petition from the heart of one who desires that the Lord receive the glory that is due him. This is a great lesson for us. You see, the focus of the psalter and his prayer is right where it belongs, not on himself or on other people or on anything else but God on the Lord and his name. This is why Jesus taught his disciples, including us as his disciples today, to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hollow means greatly revered, blessed, or honored. So then, God and his name, which describes his character, is, as the angels in heaven continually say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You see, God is the majestic, sovereign, all-powerful, omnipotent ruler of the heavens and the earth. To his name, give glory. Amen? And the psalmist then makes it clear why the focus should be on God and on his name. He says, for the sake of or because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's look at these two things here. Your steadfast love. This means God's mercy, his covenant love. And God uses this term to describe himself in the book of Exodus after Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets containing God's Ten Commandments. But while Moses was away on the mountain, what did the people do? They began to, to, to worship an idol, the golden calf. Now God, who is holy and altogether righteous in his character, was about to destroy the people because of their idolatry. But Moses prayed on their behalf, asking God to turn away from his burning anger against his people. And this is what God says about himself. Moses, uh, praise his Moses' prayer, rather. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he was spoken against the people. You see, God responds to Moses' prayer and would go on to describe himself in Exodus 34 this way. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression, transgression, that is, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Amen. But we need to be reminded that the focus should be on God. Because as fallen creatures, the most prevalent form of idol worship is actually self-worship. 
It's the worship of me, myself, and I. But we give thanks to God for progressive revelation of his word in and through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, we can read, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, but God, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. The Lord is merciful. He's a merciful, covenant-keeping God. And not only does the psalmist draw our attention to God's steadfast love, but also to God's faithfulness. Verse 1 continues to say, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The psalmist expects God to be true and faithful to his word because he always has been in the past and always will be from here and forevermore. Faithful to keep all his promises to deliver his people, including delivering them from the mockers and scoffers of the nations that surround them. Amen. As a believer today, excuse me, I want you to know that God sees and hears all that you're going through. All the challenges and disappointments that you've faced and may encounter in your life. God's steadfast love and faithfulness will carry you through because he cares for us. He cares for those who come to faith, come by faith to him. Now, I say this especially to our youth, Hayden, who was baptized today, and Leah, who was baptized a couple of weeks ago, along with a number of others, right, that have been baptized in the uh, past few months. Your decision to be obedient to the Lord by being baptized, I want you to know, has truly blessed our congregation. It really has. But... Do you know that there will be scoffers? When you leave the comfort of this sanctuary, there will be scoffers in the world. And many of them will verbalize their negative attitudes towards you. So how can we, church family, respond when this happens in our lives? How can we respond to the scoffers? Look at verse 2. Which reads, why should the nations say, where is their God? Now the nations, by nations, these are the Gentiles. Those who do not know the Lord God and are the enemies of God. You see, the people who worship idols would have different gods for different things. For instance, they'd have maybe a god for fertility or a god for rain and crops. And another god for protection in battle. And they would often carry these false gods around with them. And they would oftentimes taunt or tease the people of Israel because Israel's God was and is the unseen God. The only God. This scripture was read early in our service by our sister, Crystal Whitaker, which gives an account of Paul while he was in Athens, which was the epicenter of polytheism during, that is, the first century. 
And Paul said these words. He says, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see, the answer to the question, where is their God, is found in the word of God. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, reads this way. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Our God is in the heavens. God has revealed himself to us in his word. Therefore, along with the psalmist, we can confidently say what's found in verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all. That he pleases. Not only is God omnipotent, all-powerful, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times and in control of it all. He is sovereign in all the earth and in the heavens above. Let me say this to you. Idolatry or idol worship may look a little different for us today. We may be too sophisticated, you know, to be found worshiping a fertility God or a God for rain and maybe for some better crops. But the worship of success, money, fame, sex, political power is running rampant in our society and throughout this world. These false gods can even be found in the church. Idols of unforgiveness, of partiality, gossip, envy, and pride. They're right here in our own hearts. And I wish I could say that these idols have not from time to time found their way into my own heart. But that would be a bold-faced lie. They have. When our focus moves away from the glory of God and onto ourselves... We are no longer placing our hope in the one true God, but rather in the idol of me, myself, and I. The question is, what are you placing your hope in? What are you placing your hope in, First Baptist? That brings, this brings us rather to point number two. Place your hope in God and not in idols. Look at verses 4 through 8. We'll begin at verse 4. reads this way. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Let's stop there. But there are many idols or false gods competing for your and our attention. Now, being silver and gold refers to the precious metals that they were made of, right? 
But idols can be made of ivory, wood, and paper. Think of the dollar bill. Now, I believe that, the, that the, uh, the silver and gold that the psalmist speaks of here relates to something that we would treasure, that we would want to hold on to. We treasure the idols of our lives because they get our attention. These false gods uh, can and often do become the most important things in our lives. And the place that we go to to seek happiness and fulfillment, joy and peace. But the psalmist wants us to remember that these idols are simply the work of human hands. So what is an idol? An idol is anything other than God that we place our hope in, that we trust or that we rely on to make us happy or secure or feel important. Idols are something that we, first of all, set our hearts on. In Luke chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, it reads, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Idols also can be something that we let rule us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it reads, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated or controlled by anything. Something that we also trust, fear, or serve. Isaiah 42, 17 reads, They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust and carved idols, who say to metal images, you are my gods. But there's also something else. We can fear man. And man could become an idol to us. So Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 reads, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. But how do I know? Here's the next question. How do I know if I'm worshiping an idol? Well, there are two things to keep in mind. Number one, <laughs> idols were constantly given a sacrifice. Let me say it again. Idols are constantly given a sacrifice. So ask yourself, what am I sacrificing to make me happy and secure? What is it that you're sacrificing to your idol? Your family? Can you not find or make time for them because of your other pursuits? Your health? Are you working or binging yourself to death to soothe a hungry soul? Are you sacrificing a growing relationship with God and the people of God, the church, because things just aren't the way you think that they should be in the church? And it's all about the me, myself, and I? Idols are constantly given a sacrifice. The second way of knowing that you're worshiping an idol is that anger flares up when someone is poking it. What 
happens when someone wants to talk to you about something that uh, you're devoting an excess amount of your time to? Do you respond verbally or maybe with your body language with something like, you don't want to go there? Not today. You probably have an idol. Look again at verses um, 5 through 7. Again, it reads, They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. It doesn't take much, much rather, exegesis or interpretation of the scriptures to, 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 to say this. These idols are formed after someone or something who can speak or who can see, or hear, or smell, or, or feel, or walk, but they can't. <laughs> they can't even clear their throat to make a sound. Their idols are utterly useless. Idols themselves are utterly useless. Verse 8 reads, those who make them become like them. And so, to, so do all who trust in them. So those who make and worship idols become utterly useless, as you said, brother, themselves. To quote Charles Spurgeon, he said, those who make such things for worship are as stupid, senseless, and irrational as the figures they construct. But then he goes on to say this. On the other hand, whoever serves the living God grows in the likeness of the living God and is set free to live by the spirit of the living God. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18 reads, Now the spirit is the Lord, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Spirit, who, from the Lord, rather, who is the Spirit. Amen. Place your hope in God, not in idols. Point number three. Place your trust in God. And embrace his blessings. We see this in verses 9 through 15. Now, this section of the psalm includes a threefold call to trust in the Lord, followed by a threefold response to that call by the people of God. Look at verses 9 through 11. This threefold call is similar to a responsive or liturgical reading that we have in our worship service from time to time. In verse 9, for instance, the first bar, the first line here is, would be the, the reader, I'm sorry, the leader saying, O Israel, trust in the Lord. And then the congregation would respond with, he is their help and their shield. Amen? Let's try that. Jason already tried. I want to try it too, Jason. Let's try that. Okay? I'll read the first part, and then you'll respond with, he is their help and their shield. Let's try it one time. He is their help. And their shield. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's for you. Okay. All right. You're going to say that part. All right. Let's try it again. He is their help and their shield. One more time. 
He is their help and their shield. Okay, here we are. Verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Praise God. Give yourself a round of applause there. Very good. (laughs) Amen. See, and I even had you wake up a little bit. Now, with this, the people of God were instructed and reminded to trust in the Lord. All of God's people were to trust in the Lord. Look at, again, verse 9. It relates to the nation of Israel, therefore, is reminded or instructed that God is their help. He has come to their aid time and time again. He is their shield, which means their protection in the battle. Verse 10, the house of Aaron, those who who he set apart to lead the people in worship, they need to be reminded that God is their help and their shield. And even verse 11, those who fear the the Lord, these, these were the proselytes, the people from all the nations who, by the way, no longer mock the Lord and his people, but by faith worship the God of Abraham, worship the God of Isaac and Jacob. And by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith, all peoples from every nation and every tongue who serve the Lord as born-again believers are therefore then, what? Instructed and reminded to trust in the Lord. I want to remind you, church, trust in the Lord. In verses 12 through 15, the psalmist recounts the confident blessing of God along with the content of the blessing. Verse 12 reads, the Lord has reminded us he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. You see, it doesn't matter where you come from. Isn't that right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your status in life. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your native tongue may be. It's the same God who, we're, who we are to worship. It's the same God who brings about salvation through his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same God who allowed his son to hang high on a cross so that you and I can come to him by faith. And no longer be a hoarder in life, but trust in God. Let go of those things. Believe in him, small or great. He is God. Amen. Listen, church. God's help, God's shield, that is his protection in the battle. And God's blessings are available to all those who are his. But compare this with what a worthless idol can provide. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. My question for you today is then, have you placed your trust in God? Do you have a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here today because someone invited you. Or maybe you've uh, come and visited a few times before. Either way, 
My urgent appeal to you today is that you would accept his free gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. You can come and see me here at the podium afterwards, or you can talk to one of our pastors who are at the door. But either way, place your trust in God and embrace his blessing today. We come to our final point. Point number four. Bless and praise our God now and forevermore. Verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 begins this way or reads this way. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. As we see, the psalm ends where it began, acknowledging that God reigns and rules in the heavens. The heavens and everything in it and under it belong to God. He is our creator, our sustainer, and our provider. The earth is a part of God's beautiful creation, and he has given it to mankind to rule and subdue. Each of us, however, have inherited the sin of Adam, and like him, being formed from the dust of the earth, will one day return to the dust. For it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, comes judgment, as we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Verse 17 reads, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Now, the, the, the psalmist here is speaking of Sheol, the abode or place of the dead, the grave, where there is no singing, no rejoicing, no silence, just silence, rather. This is humbling. Our time in this world is finite. But we serve a God who is infinite and who raises the dead. So for those of us who know the Lord, I'll say this. For those of us who know the Lord, however, while we have breath, we ought to praise the Lord. We ought to praise the Lord. When we come here, breathing, We should be praising the Lord. Look at me funny if you want to. I'm going to praise the Lord because he is good. He's been good to Tony Edwards. He saved me from my sin. I know it for sure. So if you know that God has saved you from your sin, you should be praising him. And you shouldn't give a hoot about who's looking at you. As a matter of fact, you should look at him and say, join me. As we praise the Lord together. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But I want want you to note the psalmist's confident transition of faith in verse 18. Look at it with me. He says, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. John Piper said this about man blessing the Lord. We sung a song earlier about it, about it about man being able to bless. What does it mean for man to bless the Lord? Well, in Scripture, when God, I'm sorry, yeah, he says this, that in Scripture, when God blesses man, they are helped and strengthened and made better off than they were before. But when man blesses God, God is not helped or strengthened or made better off because he is omnipotent, all-powerful. He doesn't need anything. So what does it mean then to bless the Lord? 
To bless the Lord is to express gratitude and admiration for who he is and for what he has done. So how then can we bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore? Let me tell you, there's only one way. And there's only one name, the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 reads, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Look, by faith, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And by his substitutionary death and resurrection, he has defeated the grave along with the very fear of death. Believe upon his name for salvation and you will be saved. Then together, we can help one another. Place our focus on God. Place our hope and trust in God. And bless and praise him now and forevermore. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you bless the children of man. You thank, we thank you that nothing takes you by surprise. And we thank you that you have now provided a way for us to be in right relationship, even though we're broken, with you through your son. And so, Father, I would pray today that there were, if there was someone who needs to know Christ, that he or she would do it today. Bless this time. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.